philosophers in Crabtree Corners, and it's the tycoons in Wall Street. The Outline World Dispatch. It's Monday, May 15th, 2017. I'm Adrian Jeffries. Today on The Dispatch. William Turton and I look at the extreme danger of ransomware being used against hospitals. Ransomware attacks on hospitals have been remarkably effective. Andy Martino talks about biometrics. Expedited completion of the biometric entry exit tracking system. Jeffy Haza on putting your money where your mouth is. We, everyone's very angry, everyone's out in the streets, everyone's calling their congressmen, but they're getting ready for 2020. Here's the dispatch. The future. On Friday and over the weekend, hackers hit dozens of hospitals in England and around the world in a large-scale ransomware attack. It was probably the biggest such attack on hospitals, but it certainly wasn't the first. Outline writer William Turton and I have been following this story. Right. So ransomware is malware that locks down computers and networks until the victim of the attack pays up a ransom, almost always in Bitcoin. Right, and it's usually spread by... The hackers sending a seemingly legit email to an employee of the organization. That employee clicks on a malicious attachment inside the email, which is why you should never click on attachments. And boom, they're hit by ransomware. From there, the ransomware will spread, infecting other computers connected to the same network. When a hospital network is hit by ransomware, patient data becomes encrypted and inaccessible. And hospitals may struggle to provide even basic care, like prescription refills. If the ransom isn't paid on time, the virus automatically deletes the files, which could be devastating for patients, depending on how well the hospital has backed up its data. The problem took on new urgency recently when a hospital in Los Angeles had its entire computer network, including all its digital medical records, locked up by hackers. Since then, several other medical institutions were crippled by ransomware, forcing them to turn away patients. Ransomware attacks on hospitals have been remarkably effective. In February 2016, a hospital in L.A. paid $17,000 to unlock its files. Later that year, ransomware attacks hit hospitals in the U.S., Germany, and New Zealand. That prompted the U.S. and Canadian governments to issue a warning. Reports of similar attacks on hospitals and healthcare networks date back to at least 2014. And at least a dozen hospitals in England's National Health Service, the same system that was hit in this recent attack, had previously been targeted by ransomware between 2012 and 2016, according to reporting by Motherboard. In those cases, the hospitals didn't pay the ransoms because they were able to recover their data from internal backups. That's not the case in this most recent attack. At least one hospital was reportedly unable to accept new patients as a result of the hack, so hospitals are paying up. The blockchain, which records all Bitcoin transactions, shows that the hackers received two payments of about $270 in Bitcoins Friday morning. Hospitals are prime targets for hackers spreading ransomware because in many cases, they have no choice but to pay up as fast as possible or risk the health or even lives of patients. But paying ransom to hackers is not a sustainable strategy. If hospitals simply pay up, more hackers will be encouraged to hit them up for more money more frequently. Ransomware attacks against hospitals are now common enough that every healthcare system should be prepared for it. In the warning issued in April 2016, the U.S. and Canadian governments explained how hospitals can protect networks against ransomware attacks. Isolate backups from the network so they cannot be affected by ransomware. Take steps to prevent malicious software and unapproved programs from running on machines on the network. 
keep all systems up to date with new software releases and patches and use antivirus software. Restrict permissions so users only have as much access to the system as they need to do their jobs. Train staff on how to avoid being hacked. There's now fierce debate over who bears the most blame for hospitals getting hacked. Is it Microsoft, which provides the software that had the vulnerability? Is it the NSA, which was the original source of the malware? Or is it hospital systems, like England's NHS, which should have seen this coming? It's unclear why the NHS did not mandate strict guidelines for computer security, which would have protected its hospitals and patients against this attack. Well, hopefully it learned its lesson this time. The future. President Trump has issued two executive orders attempting to ban travel from Muslim-majority countries, and both of those orders were stopped in the courts. But Andy Martino has been reporting for us about one aspect of the travel ban that is actually still moving forward. Hey, Andy. Hello, Adrian. Yeah, so everybody thinks that Trump has just been shot down on these on these travel bans, and we've been relieved by that. Uh, but our reporting... Has and, and it wasn't necessarily all that deep reporting that you had to do to see that one thing was still moving forward, uh, was that there was something in there, uh, both executive orders, one on January 27th and then the attempted revision that was issued on March, March 6th, has sections called, quote, expedited completion of the biometric entry exit tracking system, end quote. So what we're talking about here is having your eyes or face scanned at an airport coming and going in the country and having the government able to track using that biometric data uh, when you come and go, which allows them, in, in their perspective, to keep a tighter lid on immigration and who's coming and going from the country. Right. And biometric just means a physical trait that can be used to identify you. So that includes fingerprints, right. what they call a face print, which is what they're looking for when they do facial recognition, and even voice. And there are some systems that just look at the way your body moves and can identify people supposedly just by the way they walk. Right, yeah, the the gate one is the most interesting to me, and that technology is still in development. They're not using that, but what's happening more immediately, what's moving forward, and we should say the reason it's moving forward is because President Obama was all in favor of this, and there was funding, and there was research going on at the Department of Homeland Security, and what's moving forward now is the uh, eye scans at airports, and DHS wants to have this fairly fully implemented for entry and exit uh, by 2018. So that's why it's continuing right. to go. And it has not been stopped because it's fairly bipartisan that, that this desire for biometric entry-exit uh, should move forward. So what's the difference for implementing a system like this for airports versus other types of borders? This is the key question. And, and this is where Trump's language in the orders was too broad because he was just calling for a so-called completion of biometric entry-exit. Didn't specify what that meant. But real completion would mean not just airports, as we're talking about here, but every border. So you, the government can really be sure of who's coming and going from the country and when. Obviously, land and sea borders are more difficult to regulate than airports. Sea borders are in the middle a little bit. But then there's land borders, which are porous, which are widespread. Obviously, the, the problem there uh, with the, the porous border is what leads Trump to want to build a wall on it in the first place. That shows how difficult it is to monitor who's coming and going. So no one I spoke to, none of the experts uh, who have waited on this anywhere, really, have said that we're anywhere close to biometric entry-exit across land borders, obviously Canada, Mexico, 
uh, that's not something that will be completed, and that's not an aspect of this order that will be fulfilled any time that we can see. And if we were to complete it, is there an estimate for how much that would cost? It's difficult to pinpoint the cost of, of any of this because some of the technology that would require, in particular the land uh, uh, monitoring, is so far off. There was a, uh, an estimate in 2008. DHS said it would cost about $3.5 billion to complete biometric entry-exit. Now, the budget for it uh, in uh, Obama's last budget for fiscal year 2017 was only $52.8 million. There seemed like a big gap there. Uh, an estimate for how much it would cost to complete total land, sea, and airport biometric entry-exit is pretty abstract and far off because really the focus is on the retinal scanning at the airports. It's pretty minute still in the grand scheme of things, and there's no indication that the government is deep in development for any of these uh, other kinds of technologies. So cost, I think, is something that's going to be a moving target for many years. Thanks so much, Andy. Hey, the pleasure was mine. Power. Protests are nice, but if liberals want to make an impact, they need to cough up some cash. That's what Jeffy Haza wrote on the outline on Friday. Jeff, who's working from home today, Hello. is here to tell us about it. So, Jeff, you're writing about something called the resistance. Yes. Uh, so the resistance is basically, I mean, we've all sort of seen it on social media and I mean, it, in posters and stuff in real life, too. Just this kind of large sort of amorphous ideology, you could call it, um, that's in opposition to Trump. I think it's sort of this umbrella that that really captures all of the commentators, all of the liberals, all of the people who are worried about Trump. And the resistance often manifests as things like tweets or opinion pieces or even protesting and marching in the streets and your thesis was basically that none of these things are as effective as money. Um, I think there's much less going on in terms of organizing and getting things done and making you know tangible moves happen and a lot more happening on the side of how can I show that I disagree with this? How can I like wear a sign that says, I do not believe in the things that Trump is doing? One thing you noted in your piece was that the civil rights movement had this kind of organization and had this kind of fundraising. Can you talk about that a little? So I think a lot of people on the left and a lot of liberals have sort of fashioned themselves as these sort of civil rights crusaders. And, you know, in the American imagination, we have a very clear vision of what that looks like. And it's marches in the streets. It's, you know, impassioned speeches. And I think the thing that a lot of people might forget about the civil rights movement is the fact that it happened over 50 years ago and getting 100,000 people in the streets in 1963 was a much bigger deal than it is today when, you know, an email blast can do that. You wrote that Republicans have historically been better at fundraising than Democrats. Yeah. So I think one of the big points there is that when it comes to actually having the machinery in place to make big things happen in America, Republicans are just you know, for whatever reason, far better equipped at getting people elected, getting a bunch of donors. So while everyone's out protesting, right, the Donald Trump campaign has already raised over $7 million and the RNC already raised over $29 million. So we, everyone's very angry. Everyone's out in the streets. Everyone's calling their congressmen. 
but they're getting ready for 2020 because they know kind of how these elections go, like how to actually get the thing done when it comes time to do it. Has there been any movement in this direction to get fundraising more effective for Democrats? There are a couple of organizations trying to do this, um, and, and some have been around for a long time. So there's Act Blue, which I think launched around the time of the John Kerry campaign. And after the health care vote, they raised they were able to raise four point two million dollars in a single day, basically for nominee funds, which kind of operate like a war chest. Um, another organization called Swing Left kind of has this cool online tool that allows you to type in your zip code and find out the nearest district in which a Republican is up for election and could be potentially defeated by a Democrat. They also allow you to donate to something similar to nominee funds, which are district funds, which operate sort of the same way as a kind of giant war chest for swing districts. All of these are very, you know, encouraging efforts. But I think when you think about $29 million for the RNC in the first few months of 2017, it's going to take a very, very large movement and a large financial movement to really set the groundwork that liberals and Democrats are going to need moving forward. Jeff, thank you so much. Thank you. And I'll I'll be in the office tomorrow. That concludes The Dispatch. I'm Adrienne Jeffries. Till tomorrow.